Motivation featuring Jesse Ginsberg. Hello, welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Deb, and Maria's not here today, but I do have a lovely guest, Mike Racine. Say hi. Hi, Deb. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you, honey? <laughs> I am well. This is take three, so... Uh, <laughs> Third time's a charm. <laughs> um, yeah, so Mike and I moved into a new apartment. Um, what do you think about the apartment? Love it. Yeah, there are some challenges. Mm-hmm. That's why we had to do this three times so far. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, I really like the new apartment. And well, what I like, if I could just say, <laughs> you're allowed to talk. It's nice to set up your. It's setting up your old, your new apartment is nice and mm-hmm. fun. But then all, having to tie up all the loose ends of the old apartment is, I think, always the biggest drag of moving. I know. I don't want to go back there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not motivated to go back there. Um, and funny because that's what our episode's about. Uh, later in this episode, I'm going to talk to Jesse Ginsburg, and we talk all about mindset and intrinsic motivation when working with individuals on the autism spectrum and with complex communication needs. So we get into all of that later. But right now, I yeah, I don't feel motivated to go to the other apartment I just want to move on I just like I like to just move forward and keep going and not look back same Ugh, but is there a lot of work to do there you've been there twice I did a good I did me. a good amount yesterday not to toot my own horn nice well done yeah that's good. I patched up almost all the holes we mm-hmm. got to take we need my my pliers we got to take the anchors out right I was wondering about that so like fixing the holes in the wall but I did get a lot of the anchors out of the wall uh-huh so like not motivated like things that impact people's motivation would be like their energy level or the reward or confidence or their lack of desire so like I do feel like I feel like I I have enough energy to go to the other apartment but it's not where I want to put my energy <laughs> But like you feel like you have a lot of energy to go do stuff like that. Like I just want to put it behind me. You want to see so you're like act proactive about it. Yeah. And then like the reward, I guess like that is the reward would be like it's done and then we get our security deposit back. So like I am motivated by that reward. I just feel like it doesn't have to happen right now. That's why I'm such a procrastinator. Well, we are getting a little closer to the 1st of April. Yeah, yeah. Only a couple more days. But it's not the 1st of April yet. No. And that's just how my brain works. Like, I just do that for everything. You do stuff last minute. Yeah. I feel like I feel more fire. I feel more energy, like... I do pretty much everything last minute, too. Yeah. I remember, like, there were times when, like, being in school, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, okay, okay, children, you have two months for this <laughs> yeah. report. And you, you might start it a little bit. Yeah. But no way. I wouldn't even start why, it. Why would you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you start doing it and you're like, what's the point? I have so many days. Right. Like a research project felt like a big deal when you yeah, had to yeah. write a report about something. Mm-hmm. So I would like start it and then I'd start writing it and then, but th- there's, why would you, but then why would you finish something before it's due? Because then it's more time to, for it to get better. Right. You know what oh, I mean? like you mean proofread it and stuff? Right. Like why would you finish a project in a week that takes two months to do? Right. Yeah. Yeah, like it's better to like you'll get the better quality project if it's last minute, right? I think that I produce better work but last minute because I'm more focused because I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have no like fear or concern when there's a large window, so I don't like focus on it. Mm-hmm. But I can fixate on something that like has to happen right now. Yeah, in the Charlie Brown musical, he sings a song about like writing a paper. 
<laughs> really? Yeah. Is it good? Yeah. Can I'll you sing it? I forget. It's been so long, but it's something like. You <laughs> but know, maybe it's exactly like I this. Should, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I start writing now, then I will. I should be outside playing, getting fresh air and sunshine. But I <laughs> work best under pressure, and I don't know. I yeah. I, yeah, I I do work best under pressure. But do I have the confidence to do the apartment stuff? Yeah. Like there's nothing I can't clean. There's nothing we can't repair. There's nothing assemble. we can't carry, assemble. Like, yeah. So I do have the confidence. And then mm. lack of desire, like 100%. I just don't have, I do, I desire to be in the new apartment. I don't want to go to right. the old apartment. Right. Um, Maybe I'll go over there later today. I'll get a head start. All right. Let me know. So yeah. do you know who Maslow is? Yes. And his theory of motivation in the hierarchy of needs. I know the I know the hierarchy of needs better than the theory of motivation. So this is the theory of motivation. It's like that the theory of motivation is that people are motivated according to a hierarchy, oh, and so right. like it goes physiological, safety, love, belongingness, esteem, and then self actualization. So mm-hmm. like your physiological needs must be met before you can be motivated to do anything else. Interesting. So like if you're hungry or if you have to pee. Right. Or if you're cold and you don't like or something yeah. like that, like um, you don't feel well. Right. <laughs> Calm down. I told you this is my show, not yours. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> if your physiological needs are not met, then you're not going to be um, focused on your safety needs. You're not going to think like, is this dangerous? Am I in the shell? Do I have proper shelter? If I taking care of myself, am I being mm-hmm. healthy? You're am like I- a stray dog. Right. You just are only motivated by your physiological needs. Mm-hmm. But if your physiological needs are met, then you will care more about your safety. Mm-hmm. Right. So you'll be motivated to pursue things that keep you safe and mm-hmm. secure. Mm-hmm. And can I just yeah. say one thing? Of so course. I think it's funny when some like sometimes in life we'll meet people who are at those different levels of the hierarchy. Yes, 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 yes. So yeah. you're like, oh, this person is driven strictly by like physiological needs strictly by like safety needs yeah um so like if your physiological needs are met then you might care about your safety needs so you'll take care of yourself but Mm. then and then as long as you have the those needs met then you'll start like being motivated by love and belongingness Mm -hmm. but like so if your safety needs aren't met, mm-hmm. then you'll be fixated here, which would impact your love and belongingness. So you might make bad mistakes wanting to be liked and to feel along. Hmm. Like, very interesting. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's the best episode you've ever done. <laughs> You're lying. No, it's it's interesting. Okay, so what do you think? So like if so I never really like think about psychology that much, but I I mm-hmm. do like it and I know you like it too. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm into it. Because there's a lot of stuff that we're not always into the same things, but mm-hmm. sometimes we do find something that we both really like. Right. Like Rarely. Ti- like, like Tiger, Tiger King. King. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah Jinx. T- <laughs> um, right. So if you're like making bad relationship um, decisions and stuff, then mm-hmm. maybe like you are kind of like fixated in your safety Mm-hmm. needs or mm-hmm. whatever those aren't fully met mm-hmm. but like if you take care of your physiology and your safety and your relationships your love and belongingness that will then um give you self-esteem mm-hmm. then you'll have self-love right yeah and then once you accomplish all of these things then you'll be at self-actualization mm-hmm. when you all of your um needs below that are met 
Okay, so I'm going to ask you, what is intrinsic motivation? What is intrinsic motivation? Yeah. I don't know. I just told you before. Think about it. Oh, intrinsic it. motivation is like uh, being motivated from the feeling, like if the feeling, if, if doing the thing makes you feel good internally. Right. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, oh, I, I like... Uh, I enjoy working out. I enjoy building shelves. Right. Like you like the activity and the way it makes you feel. Yeah. Right. So in other words, um, the motivation to engage in a behavior arises from within the individual because it's naturally satisfying to them Mm -hmm. as opposed to being driven by your external motivation. So like if I go to work, then I'll get money, like some reward outside that activity, like I would have to go to the old apartment so that I could just like finish my responsibility and then get my security deposit. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So you feel like I do like though, like I like patching up holes and walls and stuff. And like when I start engaging in the moving process, I get into it. No, that was fun. Like the therapeuticness of sort of like, okay, there's all these holes in the walls and I have to patch them up. Right. But there's just the thing of like looking at all the stuff that's still left there, mm-hmm. looking at all the stuff in the backyard that's pretty dirty and you go, ah, oh, crap, I got to put that in my car. Right. You know, yeah. like. Um, and this like impacts your activation speed. And that's like going from idea to plan to execution to finish. Mm-hmm. So like you're motivated to go to the other apartment and do the things. Mm-hmm. Right. But then like there's that space. Either you do it right now or you sit in a space where you're like thinking of all the reasons why you're not motivated to do that. Mm-hmm. So it delays the activation time. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Like, I can't, I don't want to go because I'm like, I don't want to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is what I like to keep in mind when I'm working with kids. I just want to make sure that like the activity, it's hard to understand if like something's going to be motivating to another person. Like Mike and I talk about how like we're not really motivated by the same activities. Yeah. Like you don't want to do what I want to do and I don't want to do what you want to do. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, so it's tricky to know like what other people sometimes when you call my name from the other room i go oh <laughs> what does she want and sometimes when you yell across the apartment deborah have you seen my blank it just like drives me crazy and i'm like um have you looked where it belongs right but you're the you're the one usually touching those things and moving them but putting them cleaning. where they back where they belong but where they belong to you might not be where they belong to me. Okay, so, but I'm like... Not, I'm not picking a fight, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, maybe sometimes... Right, but do you... stuck together do you a long think, time, folks. Do you think it's fair to say that often, like, you leave things in the middle of the floor and that's not usually the place where it belongs? Of course. Yeah, so, like, that's why I have to pick it up and put it elsewhere. Put it somewhere, yeah. Because you often leave I don't leave put things. stuff away. Yeah. 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 Working on it. You do like to move forward. You're like, I already opened that cabinet. I don't need to close it. It's no. behind me now. I hate putting stuff away. <laughs> hate it. It's a waste of time. But do you like a clean space? Of course. Do you feel like you are more motivated to work in a, um empty, sort of clean, Maybe. tidy environment? Well, I'll tell you what. I, I was pretty good yesterday with that putting that bookshelf together. Because yeah. I, was, I was pretty good at like opening the box, taking out the styrofoam, Breaking up the styrofoam, putting that in a garbage bag. Mm-hmm. I was trying to keep my workspace, you know, clean. And I think ultimately that probably did make the process go faster. Yeah, yeah. 
That is so like having the appropriate workspace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to we're going to cut to commercial and then I'm going to talk to Jesse Ginsburg. Is there anything positive that you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah. Um, <laughs> just uh, look, we're all stuck in our homes. Yeah. It stinks. It's not I'm always not, fun. I have no problem with it. Yeah. Sometimes. But every once in a while, I'll be like, this is a bummer. I'm becoming like, an This is fun. This is fun. This is fun. And then I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> who knows how long we're going to be here under house arrest. Right. Um, but um, I think that uh, working out is a very good like um, it's a very good like spirit lifter. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think it's good to have in times like this of uncertainty. It's good to have like some goals, you know. Right. Yeah. And if you go, OK, I'm going to work out for like even if it's 10 minutes a day. Right. Yeah. It's something. Because it's easy to sort of like overweight, get like overeat and kind of mm-hmm. go off the deep end. Right. And like have wine every night and, and sleep have wine, in. Dr- drink every night and sleep in. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, I think it is. I think it is good for your mental health to just kind of like stay healthy in, in, in all this. Right. And if you just commit to like five, if you're like, oh, I'm just going to work out for five minutes. Yeah. You'll often like get motivated within that five minutes and just work longer. Yeah. Well, one thing that made me laugh is someone shared this meme that, and, and it was like, it's okay to eat all your snacks. It's okay to eat all your snacks. It's okay to eat. And it's like, no, it's not. We're going to be <laughs> fighting each other for food very soon. Hold on to your snacks. Right. Yeah. This episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese is brought to you by Therapy Travelers. Happy clinicians change the world. Their mission is to attract, empower, and retain the finest therapist. They do this so that every human can manifest their full potential. Therapy Travelers employs speech pathologists, school psychologists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, social workers, school nurses, special education teachers, and more. Check them out at therapytravelers.com. This episode is also brought to you by The Sensory Studio. The Sensory Studio is a pediatric private practice with two convenient locations in Staten Island. Traditionally, The Sensory Studio offers school, center, and home-based speech and occupational therapy through private medical insurance. Right now, the Sensory Studio is offering teletherapy sessions for speech and occupational therapy through a simple email link to all New Yorkers. Please email them at info at thesensorystudio.com or call 718-979-5678 to reach their parent coordinator. And now a chat with Jesse Ginsburg. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Deb, and today I am joined by Jesse Ginsburg. Say hi, Jesse. Hello. Jesse is a wonderful SLP with a ton of great information she's going to share about motivation and engagement for our clients on the autism spectrum. But before we get into that, let's talk about what we are drinking. Jesse, let us know what you're drinking first. What do you have? So I am drinking Target. Well, they sell it at Target, Rosé. And it was literally the only bottle of wine I could find as I was running through the aisles of people so scared and getting all their hand sanitizer. Right. So it said, yes way, Rosé. And I was like, score. Yeah, that sounds great to me. Target should have their own brand of wine. They'd probably crush that. 
I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm having Chateau St. Jean. It's a 2016 Chardonnay. It's um, got 90 points on wine enthusiasts. So it's pretty good. Um, I'm just going to read the back. It says, built on a family's dream to create a world-class winery in the heart of California, Chateau St. Jean was conceived as a fine wine estate with European style. We invite you to enjoy this rich Chardonnay showcasing notes of lemon, pear, and apple with hints of vanilla and brown spices on the finish. Um, it's good. I like it. On this show, we vote drink it or sink it, and I definitely vote drink it on this Chateau St. Jean. How about you? Do you vote drink it on your yes way, Rose? Always. Always yes. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Cheers. Fun fact, uh, my parents own a winery, so I grew up working working in it. Wow. Do you know things about wine? I don't. Not I could really. tell you anything. That's the thing about work, when your parents have a winery. I wasn't allowed to just order wine bottles at, the di- at dinner, you know? We would just bring our own wine. Right. So I literally just drank our own wine forever until, until college when on- Andre... Is that the $3 champagne bottle? <laughs> I think so. About, and then I was Andre all the way. <laughs> and I like your use of rhyme in all of your beverage choices. What's, yeah. the, what's the name of your parents' winery? It's called Chateau Sinet. It was started really as a hobby for my dad. Wow. He wanted a bar. My mom said, absolutely not. So he said, okay, how about a winery? Well, that's a very classy compromise. Um, I admire your brother <laughs> for that. <laughs> for sure. That's, that's great. Um, are you having any cheese today? I'm having goldfish crackers. Does that there count? Go. Cheddar? Yeah. Cheddar 100% cheese. real cheese. <laughs> um, I'm not having cheese because my throat feels sore. So I'm having SLP's wine and tea um, just to balance out this wine. <laughs> All right. So. Let's see. So, Jesse, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Of course. So, my name is Jesse Ginsberg. I'm from LA and I've been an SLP for about seven years. And I own a private practice called Pediatric Therapy Playhouse. And I personally specialize in treating young kids with autism. Wow. I love the name of your um, private practice. Thank you. I always think I want to have a private practice one day and I always get um, held up on the name. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest part. Yeah. Just figuring out the name. Yeah. I know it's like naming your kid. You have to make a decision for life. Exactly. That's the point. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that I didn't just pick anything and then I regretted it later. But I mean, I've got four tattoos. Never thought more than 10 minutes about any of those. So. <laughs> Yeah, the Playhouse name, I really wanted a clinic where I didn't want parents saying, we're going to speech today. Right. You know, I wanted them to say, we're going to the Playhouse. So that's where it came about. I love it. Um, So where did you go to school? I went to undergrad at University of Redlands, which is a very small private school an hour east of L.A., Mm-hmm. And then I went to grad school at Chapman, which is in Orange County. And at the time, it was the second year they started the program. So it was really brand new at the time, but really amazing. Nice. Um, and how did you decide to be an SLP? Did you start from undergrad? 
I was pre-med in undergrad and I hated it. You know, the people and classes are mean. They won't help you with homework. It's just so different. Yeah. So someone said, take, take a communicative disorders class. They're really easy. So I tried it out. And um, yeah, even when I graduated, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but Mm -hmm. I had my SLPA license. So I thought, why not? Let's do it. So I did that for a year. And at the time I was trained in floor time therapy as well. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of just got me down this path. Nice. So as an SLPA, you can work in the schools. Is that accurate? This was actually, yes, you can, but I was at a private clinic in LA mm. at the time. Are, you, are SLPAs still able to work at clinics? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know like what, so what's the driving factor to get your master's um, when you already are certified as an SLPA? I guess two things. One, higher pay. Mm-hmm. Two, for a lot of people like me, I just knew I didn't want to have a boss. That was my goal, you know, so you don't have to be supervised. Okay. Makes sense. I like that that option is available in some states. New York, there is no such thing as an SLPA. Really? Yeah. It probably would have made, um, like the, just like being able to work and before grad school or something, you know, it probably would have been more helpful financially if that was. An opportunity, but no. For sure. Yeah. Um, so how did you then end up deciding that you wanted to be an SLP? Oh man. So I knew that job I had as an SLPA was amazing. I had these incredible mentors. I had a mentor for speech. I had a mentor for floor time therapy and I had a mentor for social skills. And I mean, they were just I mean, I think I learned more in that year than any year ever. Mm-hmm. So I just really fell in love with the kids. Great. Yeah. So then what do you find to be the most enjoyable aspect of your job in this field? Right now, it's just working with my team. I mean, the other clinicians in my office are so amazing. And I think it's awesome because everyone kind of has their own specialty area. And when you go into private practice, it's really scary. You think you have to be able to do everything just to make money. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, I'll take anyone. But eventually, you know, if you grow your team, you get to start hiring people who are better than you at certain things. And that's the best feeling in the world to know that you're bringing clients and they're in great hands. Right. It it probably makes sense to have people like, this is our feeding person. This is our person who specializes in autism. This is our speech sound disorder person. So that like everyone's getting the best care. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. Have you heard of the blue ocean strategy? No. What's that? Kind of this idea where um, when you go to someone, you want that person to be the best at what they do. Mm -hmm. Right. So you think that in order to get more business, you need to be able to do everything, but really the less you do and the better you are at what you're doing at what you do, the more business you're going to get. Cause like, if you had a brain tumor, would you go to a family practitioner or a neurologist? Right. You know? So um, I will probably butcher the story. I don't remember. I read it, but it was really good. It was Steve jobs hired someone and he came in the guy he'd hired and met with him. And then the guy he hired said, okay, here's the problem we're having. What do you want to do about it? And Steve jobs said, I don't know. That's why I hired you. 
you know, so the point was hire people who know more. Right. Yeah. Now we have our fluency specialist and we have someone who is great and amazing in neuro and someone who's amazing in early intervention. And so it's just, it's awesome. I love that. I have still yet to decide what I really want to narrow my focus down to. I have like educational setting. Um, I've been getting a lot of like sensory feeding clients. Mm. Yeah. And then I have, um, I just always love speech sound disorders. So whenever I get the opportunity to work with any of those clients after school, then I always, I always grab them as quick as I can. Um, so I guess three is not so bad. <laughs> have you heard of The Big Leap, the book? No. What's that? You're teaching. You gotta read that. Um, so it talks about like finding your zone of genius, you know, when you're doing mm-hmm. something what is it that you sit down and you do and it's time slows down for you because you just love what you're doing. You could do it all day long without stopping. So, wow. Yeah. I'll have to think about that, but yeah, I should read that. I got to read more books. I swear the most uh, embarrassing thing about me is I don't feel like I've read a book since I can't even remember really. I've read like parts of books. Um, I read research articles. I read stuff online. I don't like read anything from cover to cover ever. And I need to do that. It's funny because I, I started reading a lot more in the fall. So now I read about two books a week. Wow. And it really is life-changing. All right. I got you, know, it right. you read a book like that book, The Big Leap, and then you think, how did I live my life before I knew this? <laughs> There's you know? all this information I'm missing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what do you find to be the most challenging aspect of this job and career? It's kind of different. I mean, you think about working as an SLP, what's hard versus being a business owner, because they're completely different things. Right. Um, you know, what's interesting about private practice and when you own a business is that it's 95% business and 5% of your mind going to therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not spending your days thinking about your clients. You're spending your days thinking about all the, all the families and insurance and all of those things. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot to learn. It's hard because a lot of the times, especially when working with kids on the spectrum, we might meet them and instantly within one minute, we know they're on the spectrum, but it's really hard when we meet parents who just feel like they're in denial and feel like they just aren't anywhere near being ready to hear that. Mm-hmm. I still struggle with that. Yeah. A lot of my jobs have just been names and addresses on a paper. And then I don't know anything until I walk in. And mm-hmm. then um, by when I walk in, that's when I ask for like the paperwork and stuff. But then I see the person I'm intended to work with and I've already got some ideas in my head. And then I look at the paperwork and nothing is reflective of what I'm thinking and nobody is aware yet. Yeah. And you're working with kids with feeding. So a lot of the times, you know, they say feeding, picky eating is the first red flag of autism, but parents miss it. You know, there's just not enough information out there about it. I don't feel it's easy to miss. Um, All right. So um, I actually love to talk about motivation while I'm doing, anytime I do a presentation, I always talk about um, intrinsic motivation and then also Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the theory of motivation. Um, And just to quickly 
break it down, I like to say how like motivation is the why we're doing something. And then engagement is what we are actually doing, what we're engaged in. Um, and intrinsically motivating activities are naturally satisfying to the participant. Um, it's not reliant upon external rewards. So it's not like if you if you do the podcast, then you will get wine. It's just the podcast <laughs> is naturally satisfying to, to myself. Um, and then that motivation kind of drives behavior. Um, and we all want to reach satisfaction and avoid dissatisfaction. Um, so motivation and engagement, I feel, are the most pivotal aspects of speech pathology in no matter who you're working with. Mm -hmm. um, but can be such a huge challenge when it comes to individuals on the spectrum. Yeah, you are speaking my language. I love it. <laughs> I could talk about intrinsic motivation all day. Yeah. So, well, what did I miss? What do you usually like to hit upon when you're chatting about intrinsic motivation? I mean, I think the biggest misconception, because one of the first things I ask therapists when they're asking me about their kids are working with on the spectrum, they might have trouble with them. And they say, I say, well, what motivates your client? Mm -hmm. And they say nothing. And I can't even tell you how often, I mean, probably 90% of the time therapists will say nothing motivates him. And the fact is that children cannot be unmotivated, right? So kids are always motivated. It's just, they might be motivated by something other than what you want them to be motivated by. Right. So a kid on the spectrum might not be motivated to interact with you, but he might be very motivated to lay on the floor and roll cars back and forth and watch the wheels spin. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so it really is just about building that intrinsic motivation. So how I kind of got into working and talking about engagement and motivation is I wrote this article last year for ASHA, and it was about how I had all these kids. They would come into my office, they'd be on the spectrum, and the parents would say, He's talking, but he, he has all these words, but he's not using them consistently, mm -hmm. right? And we see that all the time yes. for kids with autism. And the problem with that is that, yes, the child has language, but a lot of these kids who are talking but aren't using those words consistently have greater issues affecting language use. Right. A lot of the times they have significant deficits and the foundational skills needed for language development, which is their regulation and their engagement and their motivation. So a huge thing that, you know, I teach SLPs about is how to work on sensory processing and kind of how to understand that and how it relates to us in our field. Right. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. I would always struggle with this motivation um, when it came to individuals on the spectrum. Um, and then I would tell SLPs, if you're struggling to find your, your student's motivation, then try to work from your own intrinsic motivation, because if it's naturally satisfying to you, it could increase the likelihood that that is appealing to somebody in front of you. So like, whether that's singing a song or drawing something or building a blocks, whatever you can have fun with, see if you can get them to also have fun with it um, while also observing their behaviors and mm -hmm. seeing like what they are choosing to do without any influence. So often we can just get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, I got to take my data, we have to meet these goals, I need to get 80% on this. And 
you know, I have an IEP coming up and it's, we can get so caught up in that, that we almost forget that we are there to make a difference in this child's life. You know, we're not there just to get the child to hit a WH questions goal. Right. So what I tell therapists is stop thinking about what you're doing as work and start thinking about how you can just connect with that child. Because if you go into a session and your goal is just to connect with that child, I promise you that child's going to get more in the long run. Absolutely. And I always, I have no problem writing um, goal not introduced yet and um, speech therapy targeted um, increasing interactions within the therapy session between clients and clinician. Um, And I don't, I would love it if more people didn't, because I post these videos on my Instagram often of myself doing therapy. And I hate when people comment and they're like, what goal are you targeting? Or how are you taking data? (laughs) And I'm like, that is not the only thing we're supposed to do. Uh, That's the best. You have to build a relationship with this person before you can start tracking what they're doing. Yeah. And we really it's so easy to just feel so much pressure, especially if you're here in private practice and you have parents sitting in on your session, watching, wondering what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, but um, that's such an important piece. Yeah. But parents just want their kids to be happy and safe and interacting, I feel. So even if you're beating yourself up, like this person just thinks I'm playing, the parent probably hasn't seen their child's play like that with another person so I'm sure that they're looking thinking positive things and not the negative things we might like assume that it's so true you know it's all parents want is for their kid to have a loving supportive relationship with the therapist and Mm -hmm. everything else is just on the side yeah yeah um so I put, uh, wrote down a couple notes on things that I like to do to work on engagement. Um, I find that, like we said, just like seeing what the kid likes and then getting on their level, whether that means like sitting on the floor and, and playing with toys, maybe not functionally, but watching them. Um, but then also like establishing routines and structure within that session so that each aspect of it is predictable to that individual so that they're never sitting there like, what is going to be next? Or is it going to be too hard? Or will I not have the energy? Or will I not know how to do it? Or will I prefer to do something else? Um, Using the same routine and then incorporating pictures and objects to help understand what's next, I find that to be a helpful start when working with kids on the spectrum. Yeah, so it's funny because I just did this exercise with therapists saying, what are your core values? Not in your life, but as a therapist, Mm -hmm. you know? And then in your day-to-day life, are those values something that you get to show? So I try to say, think of three to five core values. What is the most important thing to you when you're working with kids? And are you being true to that in your therapy? So one of mine is, I try to make them as unique as possible, (laughs) seemingly unprofessional flexibility. And what that means is that other there, I mean, I very rarely plan my sessions. I mean, I know my kids' goals. It's just that I don't like doing, you know, first we're going to do this, then we're going to do that because that is using an external reward. 
Right. So yeah. I try to just be really flexible. So what that means is I don't really know what's going to happen. And if a therapist were to come in and watch me, they would probably think, is she serious? She doesn't have a plan for this session. Right. But you just have to know your kids so well that you know how to target their goals regardless of the activity. Right. Yeah. I mean, in terms of what I was saying, it could be quite difficult for somebody who um, is on the more, who has more complicated, uh, complex communication needs. Um, and I, I'm sure that it might sound wacky to not have a planned session, but, um, if you're just really trying to get on that person's level, then you're obviously doing so much with intention. You're just seeing like, what piece can I utilize at any moment? Mm -hmm. And then, and then bring language to that. Yeah. One thing I like to teach people is how to write goals for engagement because mm -hmm. a lot of the therapists will say, yeah, I would love to sit on the floor and play and sing, but how am I going to, what goal am I targeting? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so you can write goals based on circles of communication, which is comes from the floor time approach, but it's the idea that, you know, in a circle of communication, you have someone initiating or opening the circle and then you have someone responding to that but a lot of people think that's a whole circle which it's not that's only part of it the circle has to close so there has to be a third step right right so a lot of the times if a kid on the spectrum wants bubbles maybe they come up to you they say open and then they hand you the bubbles they're opening the circle then you might unscrew the bubbles and hand it back to them and then what do so many kids on the spectrum do? They just stare right at that bubble container and then turn away and walk off. Right. You know, there's no acknowledgement that you just did what they wanted. Yeah. It doesn't have to be verbal. It could just be an eye gaze or a facial expression or anything. So one thing that we do in our clinic is we write goals for circles of communication. So this child will participate in, you know, three to five circles of communication or something like that. So then it really gives you the flexibility to just work on engagement and that be your goal. Yeah. I love the informed SLP. And this month, um, an article came out specifically just, it's just what you were talking about. So working on eye gaze um, is extremely functional. Um, I'm going to cut this short. I'm not going to read everything, but you should sign up for the informed SLP if you want to get more info on this. Um, it's easy, it's impactful, it's basically no prep and probably free and socially meaningful intervention. Um, the tips that they gave were to, um, like Jesse mentioned, you need a full circle. So phase one would be look at me, which is social engagement. And then phase two would be look at me and then look at the thing you're interested in, which is joint attention. So looking at me and then looking at those bubbles. But then we're gonna close it by looking at me looking at the bubbles and then looking back at me. And this is a triadic gaze or coordinated joint attention. So that's, you can easily write a goal that um, in, in six sessions, Jesse will um, look at the clinician, look at an object of interest, and then look back at the clinician in three out of five situations provided one direct verbal prompt, something like that. Like that you can easily write a goal like that for eye gaze and circles of communication. Definitely. And I think the only tricky thing is that it gets you, you have to get used to counting circles. 
Right. You know? So if you're able to videotape sessions, that's always what I recommend because it's the best way to be able to learn to do that. Mm-hmm. So then what are some tips and tricks that you have that people can use in therapy tomorrow to target engagement and motivation for their clients? I think the biggest change, and this is probably sounds really cliche, but it's just in mindset. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, you know, like what I was talking about, instead of thinking about how, how am I going to work with this kid today? And how am I going to work toward this kid's goals? Thinking about how am I con- going to connect with this kid today? How can I engage with this child today? And if you go into the session with that mindset, your session is going to look different. Absolutely. But I think the more sensory activities you can put into your sessions, the better. Mm -hmm. Uh I have um, a toolbox that I like to use for sensory engagement. I've never been a person for sensory bins. Not yet. It hasn't happened to me yet. As much as I see them on Instagram, I just think, oh, that could end up all over the floor. I don't know. (laughs) Like I just, and I don't like to carry things and I don't really bring place things into places. Um, but anyway, what I do have is a small toolbox and it's filled with, um, a bunch of different brushes from like, um, cleaning things to painting things to like, um, grooming things. Uh, and we work on a lot with that. We just work on open the box. We work on Um, eye gaze for looking at me, looking at the box, wanting it open, repeating the phrase, open the box, close the box, pull the lever, and then also like taking one out. And every time they open it, I allow them to pick one and then I close it really quick. So once they um, lose their engagement in that object, then we can open the box again and find another brush. And because they're all different textures, I find, and they also like some things are very shiny that you can get at a hardware store. Um, so I feel like visually and uh, tactilely, they have all different sensory appeals, and that has been helpful to me for motivating language and then also sensory. That's awesome. Never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I love that because you know, depending on the brush and the child's sensory preferences, some of those brushes could be really calming. So for kids who are really high arousal and high energy and all over, you can give them deep pressure with those brushes and use the soft brushes versus kids who might be low arousal and kind of need to be more alert. You can use something more prickly and Mm -hmm. wake them up a little bit. Yeah. 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 I like it. I mean, it works for me. Um, And then the other thing that I like to do is uh, the floor in my school is um, tile. So I put painter's tape on the floor and then create uh, like a path that they have to follow before they can get to my therapy table. Um, I'm in a new school this year, so I don't have it on my floor currently, but I did intend to introduce it either like the week of testing or when state testing is over but it'll just be like start here and then follow the arrows and then jump to each box and um i feel like it's a great sensory tool but then also a great transition into the speech therapy session it's motivating to get started because our first thing that we have to do is like hop all around the floor and like put your hands awesome. you're so creative that's <laughs> all these are so creative it's crazy <laughs> I mean, I definitely saw it on Instagram, but I think it was an OT post. 
so funny because here you are with your million brushes and your tape. And then I'm like, I don't plan a session. And then <laughs> my other number one piece of advice is see how long you can go in a session without using any toys. Or oh, okay, yeah. You know, um, so you really don't need anything if you're targeting, really, if you just have kids who are kind of lower level and you're targeting engagement and motivation, mm-hmm. I'll go 30 minutes without anything. Yeah. I, um, my voice of an angel. Just kidding. <laughs> I know you, like I saw your post where you were singing and I was like, what? So jealous. Um, I mean, I can't always sing well though. I don't know what that's like. I have apraxia of singing. Like, <laughs> I have islands of clear speech and then I have very, okay, I took voice lessons for 10 years. It did nothing but ruin me. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. I'm a horrible singer. Yeah. <laughs> So what motivated you to take the, the voice lessons? I was really into musical theater when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Never had a starring role. Sure, it was my voice that kept me back. Maybe. <laughs> well, you look like you could definitely be the lead in anything, Jesse. So. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I have my cousin's like a Broadway star. Um, she's been in like every version of a chorus line from Broadway to anytime it travels. And, um, in my whole life, she was the one who was like the actor, entertainer, singer, dancer. So it didn't even occur to me that anybody else, specifically me could have any of those type skills. Cause I wasn't her. Yeah. Like she, she covered that. Um, so <laughs> I, yeah, I had no clue. I had a guitar. I got it when I was 15. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm just too old to learn how to play guitar. I'm (laughs) never going to learn. And I'm still not great at it. But 15 years later, I could play. I want it that way. So you're never too old. It's definitely worth 15 years of practice to get that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love that you talked a lot about working on the mindset. Um, that's also, I feel like our presentations are very similar when we do talks. Cause I always talk mm-hmm. about mindset too. Just like you can't, you can only control your own actions. You can't make anybody do anything because regardless of anyone's diagnosis, we all have free will. So the only thing that you can do is control your behavior and how you react. You can act very excited to see something. You can act very subdued when somebody else is acting um, like they have high arousal. And you can soften your facial features. You can utilize a neutral voice. You can um, make your eyes really big and wide. You can change the pitch of your voice. You can change the volume of your voice. There's lots of things that you can do to yourself to increase engagement in yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I often don't like to use toys either. I don't, I, I see how long I can go with my speech exercises just with my voice in my face until I lose them. And then maybe I'll ring a bell or something. True, that energy and emotions are contagious, you know? So think about if you're just dreading a session because the kid is so hard to work with and then you just go into it with that attitude, it's going to affect the kid. You know, just like if you were to go into your office and one of your coworkers was moping around complaining or something or hungover or whatever it is, it's going to bring you down. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Another article from the Informed SLP, which I feel like is super relatable to our topic here, is the best way to teach play is adult uh, modeling. Um, So 
using during play interventions, um, the authors of this article, it's Barton et al. They suggest using toys common to early childhood settings, obviously, um, and then finding conducting a preference assessment to see like their interests, inventory, what they like. Um, and also remember that a child with disabilities may not be developmentally ready to pretend play or developmentally ready to answer questions. But so like maybe they can't have a tea party and maybe they can't label a cookie, but they can use like functional and exploration of objects like rolling a ball or pulling apart items that are Velcroed together or rolling a car on the floor like you mentioned or constructive play like stacking blocks and knocking them over. You can increase engagement in that capacity and you'll you'll eliminate that dread if you're like, all we're going to do is pull Velcro apart today. <laughs> drama. What am, I, what am I dreading? If I hand it to him, he'll pull it apart. We could put it back together. Well, then we're going to roll the car on the floor. We could do that too. There's nothing here to worry about. Mm-hmm. I don't have to not look forward to this session because I remember that was like the biggest struggle for me in the beginning when thinking like, what am I going to do? I have this little boy. I see he's four and he's just always coming in, groaning, doesn't what we have to do this, you know, giving all this kind of, all this attitude. And last week I'd ordered some new desks and I was so stressed because all I could think about was how badly I want to put the desks together. Mm-hmm. And then that's what we did for our session. We built them. Wow. Did he and it was it? the best thing he ever did in his life. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's little kids when they get to do adult activities, things we dread. No one wants yeah. to put an IKEA table together. Right. It's not fun for us. But for him, just watching how excited he was, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, it's just like life-size Legos. So <laughs> makes sense. And also, what did you do there? You followed directions. You had to like go back and forth, ask like, hand me this or, or match this screw to the visual diagram. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about play skills for paraeducators while you're searching for your quote. Um, This is by France et al. It's a 2020 research article. They are talking about how you can train paras to um, use enhanced Mayalu training. And there's a couple steps, uh, components that um, of this training would be to follow the child's lead during play, notice and respond to the child's communication attempts, imitate the child's actions and add words to that, um, model and expand the language in play, arrange the environment to facilitate communication and also use least to most prompting. Um, and I think just going based off what you said, Jesse, that if you went into a session and you strictly had no plan except to do these things, then you would achieve a bunch of goals. You didn't, you don't need to be like, first we'll read a story. Then we're going to bounce the ball. Then we're going to roll the car. You're just following the child's lead and then noticing and responding to their attempts to communicate. And um, I always think to myself, like, maybe they're just going to look at me or maybe like they'll smile and that'll convey that they're, that they find this satisfying, or maybe they're going to like burrow their, their um, eyebrows. And maybe that means they find it confusing. Um, But the most important thing I always look for is my child excessively yawning, because that indicates to me that they're likely stressed out. Um, I don't, I don't think that they're necessarily tired because how often are children like really that tired? If you changed what you were doing, all of a sudden they'd be like, hello, you know, they perk up. 
So if they're yawning a lot, they might be like stressed. Maybe the workload is too hard or they feel unmotivated to participate. So yeah, just be aware of those nonverbal communication that they use. Did you find your quote? Yes. And I have two for you. Wonderful. I love it. Okay. So this one is from a book called, Are You Fully Charged? Amazing, life-changing book. You can read it in two hours. Participating in meaningful activities elevates your thinking above yourself and your own momentary needs. Every minute you set aside your own happiness for the sake of others will eventually lead to stronger families, organizations, and communities. In the end, the pursuit of happiness and, quote, success will pass. What endures is creating meaning in your own life and in the lives of others. So that's just about how, you know, the way to be happy is to make other people's lives better. The more you worry about other people, the happier you're going to be. This is my next quote, and I'm going to give it to you because everyone in my office makes fun of me because (laughs) this is really how I feel. Okay. Find something you love to do so much that you can't wait for the sun to rise to do it all over again. Oh my goodness. Do you feel that way? I do. I'll text everyone (laughs) on Monday and be like, you guys, it's Monday. So glad the weekend's over. Oh my goodness. You're nuts. (laughs) I, yeah, I envy that. Um, I think that (laughs) I love my job, but the hardest thing I do every day is wake up like every day is hard to wake up. And I think it's because um, I have stretched my days to be quite long. So as soon as I wake up, my first thought is it's going to be so long until I get back in this bed. What time do you wake up? Not that early. Um, I have to be at work at eight. My first session starts at eight. I am often up at 7.30, sometimes 7.40. Yeah, I that was my life before children and then they come in and then they do everything right maybe children will change me but but you must be a person if you do these interviews in the evening yes yeah i i um i have not reached my full potential i think that i uh when i find a job that starts at 10 a.m i'm really gonna be me like who i was meant to be but this whole like having to start at eight practice yeah yeah, one day. So this is going to sound crazy and because it did to me. Mm-hmm. I listened to this interview with Robin Sharma, who's the author of a book called The 5 a.m. Club. Mm-hmm. And within a few <laughs> minutes, I bought his book. Two minutes into the interview, I was so excited about it, which is crazy because I've never been an early riser. Mm-hmm. And ever since I read that book, I started getting up at five. And it's like a formula where you get up in the first 20 minutes, you exercise the second 20 minutes, you meditate or reflect. Mm-hmm. And then the third, you learn. So you read or you listen to a podcast. I have to give credit to the speech dude, Chris Winger for telling me about that book. Cause I would see his posts on Instagram that he was at the gym at five and I'm like crazy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I need my life to change to reach that right now. Like my fiance is a comedian. So I often do things at night after work. Like I might meet him at a comedy show or go to dinner and then go to his comedy show. And I don't find myself going to bed until maybe like 12 or one. Oh my gosh. On a weeknight. (laughs) Yeah. 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 If you're getting up at five, you have to be ready to get in bed by nine. Nine. Yeah. So I don't remember like, Well, today I actually, St. John's, I teach at St. John's and uh, they like 
closed all classes until April. We had to transfer everything online. So I had nothing to do after work and I just napped. So now, now I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> no idea. I'm just awake now. Yeah. The children, they just change everything about your lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, could, I, could, I could use that type of change though. I've got too much. I'm too willy nilly about this life. Okay. Just do this 5am thing for one week and just do a test and see what it does to you. Okay. I'll try it. You just feel amazing as well. I mean, I also have a million cups of coffee, so mm-hmm. five and six, but you feel like you get so much done before the rest of the world is awake. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight, Jesse. And I, I'm glad in California, it's not nine 30, like it is here. So you, I I'm know, not I'm just getting started. Yeah. And I'm already 22 minutes past the bedtime you gave me. well thank you so much for having me absolutely thank you for listening everyone have a great day evening night whatever it is any time of day that you're listening that's our show everyone thanks for listening to slp's wine and cheese we have new episodes every week so be sure to subscribe also we would appreciate it if you would like and review us on itunes If you love the show and want more bonus content, check out patreon.com slash SLPs wine and cheese. Maria and I just uploaded a video of the two of us doing teletherapy. So head over there and check it out.